Welcome to Grand Turbo MoneyCast, where you will hear the answers to many of your investment questions. The material you are about to receive is neither a solicitation nor an offer to buy or sell any securities. Please remember, all investments bear risk. Now, on to our show featuring Gregory Anderson, CEO of Granderson Wealth Management Group in Denver. Hi, welcome to Grand Turbo MoneyCast. I'm Steve Koch, and I'm here with, as usual, Gregory Anderson of Granderson Wealth Management Group. And today, we've talked before about what Gregory and Granderson Wealth Group does in terms of financial advisement, uh, the th- services they provide. But today, we want to get a little bit more into the behind-the-scenes stuff, how things work, how he gets to his conclusions, and basically just the secret sauce. <laughs> Hi, Gregory. Hello, Steve. How are you doing today? I'm great. Is this so? Are you provide? Are you prepared to provide us with all your secrets today? Yes. Before you do, uh, I would like to ask you just to remind people uh, of some of the basics that you do ahead right. of time, right. because because those those building blocks, I would refer to them as building blocks, are kind of important to. They work with, I think, the tools that you're going to talk to us about later on in this podcast. Correct. So when I started my investment firm, we really wanted to differentiate ourselves from the rest of the financial advisors that were out there. And really, it comes down to financial planning is the basis, our foundation of working with our clients, because then we are able to see everything that they're looking at in terms of their finances, their retirement, investments, their insurances, their estate planning, as well as income taxes. And that's the comprehensive financial planning. So that's the foundation of where we work. So when we put together Granderson Wealth Management Group, we wanted to be able to offer investment solutions that were different, as I mentioned before. And what I mean by different, or our slogan is we do different better, is being able to offer alternative investments that include energy, real estate, and private equity. And what we were doing at that point was looking at how to construct portfolios, investment portfolios, after we understood where our clients were going. So we take more of a holistic approach in terms of working with our clients. Right. Every client's different. Some of them come in with, they already have portfolios sometimes, right? They have different needs. Some of them don't even want to bother to talk to you about education planning, right? Correct. Um, So you have to get to know the client. So how do you do that? Well, the first step is we ask them to go to our website, grandersonwealth.com. And at that location, we have several questionnaires. We have a spending plan. We have a questionnaire that deals with their risk tolerance and time horizon. And then the third would be more of a comprehensive questionnaire that looks at what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish in those various areas? If it's insurance, if it's income taxes, if it's estate planning, retirement, we're going to uncover those. Okay. So once they complete that information, then they would come back for a complimentary 
interview, usually 45 minutes. And, what, and it's no obligation. So mm-hmm. we, if they're diving into those questionnaires and they want to get some feedback, uh, that's a great way to, to do that with our complimentary uh, interview. And, and at that point, they can decide if they want to move forward, if they don't want to move forward. And also it's an opportunity to meet me as well and see if it's a, a good fit. Um, is this always a face-to-face interview? It is not. And over the last couple years, we have been doing a lot with webinars or Zoom meetings. And that's been very, very efficient. It's very helpful. Maybe a person's not able to come in to the office and they want to do it over the Zoom, which is very, very effective. Okay. So, so they have the option of either coming in or doing a Zoom meeting at this point. All right, you you are you've already anticipated it a little bit. Uh, what one of my one of my questions was going to be, which was, what are some tools that you have at your disposal? And by tools, I'm talking about some of the things you mentioned. You, you talk about Zoom webinars. You mentioned the the questionnaire slash survey that's on yeah. your website. That's another tool that you use. Can you talk yeah. about are there other tools that we? Well, with those particular tools, they will really be able to provide me with information. And then what I do is I take that information and develop a proposal. And also on my email signature, there's an opportunity for retirement assessment. And so they can complete that on their own and provide that information. But it really kind of forecasts where they currently are with their retirement planning and where they need to be. So then we can, that's a basis of the conversation. So as a result of those questionnaires, we're able to utilize those questionnaires to develop really the next steps. Mm -hmm. And it's a written, you know, it's nice to have something in writing that says, okay, these are your next steps. So they can take that with them. And uh, like I said, with no obligation. Really? They get that proposal with no obligation? Yeah, it's a very short uh, four-page proposal. And uh, normally, if uh, people are going through those steps, I could really, over the last 17 years, maybe count two or three people that have not um, taken advantage of our services Mm, as a result. And, you know, we've had, um, you know, uh, hundreds of folks that have done this mm. before and okay. uh, continue on with our services, which are the financial planning as well as investment management. Okay. I have a quick question. You mentioned earlier that you decided early on you wanted to differentiate yourself. And one, one way to do that was with alternative investments. And so I have to ask you, does every proposal include alternative investments? To a degree. And one of the reasons why I will say yes is that I'm a big proponent of real estate. And so in my prior career, we developed a real estate fund that retirees could invest in directly real estate. This is properties that are owned. So a lot of people are very familiar with real estate investment trusts, and we've done a little bit of um, uh, work with that with our uh, our uh, podcast where we talked about real estate mm-hmm. and how you can invest in real estate. But yes, I think that the, the, each portfolio should have real estate in it. And the reason why is because it's a non-correlated asset. And that's the other reason why we look at energy and real estate as a way to 
Private equity is also in there, would really differentiate a portfolio. It's non-correlated, doesn't perform with the rest of the market. And I mean, stocks, the stock market, bond market, uh, precious metals, different correlation, and it's proven out. And so that's really the way we do different better. But the situation currently over the last year is that we are seeing a lot of lot more correlation with these asset classes more so than we've ever seen. And what I mean by that is they're moving in unison, unfortunately, on the downside. Right in now. unison with the stock market. Correct. When I so, say the stock market, bond market, we're looking at yeah. uh, you know precious metals. Um, there's um, you know there's just a very select opportunity, um, you know, particularly with energy, you know, uh, talked a little bit about that in the past as well, where you're looking at $85, $87 a barrel right now, where at the, in, during the pandemic, it was $20 a barrel. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of this year, March, we saw about $130 a barrel. So we're seeing different uh, it's just a small pocket of opportunities of investing, and that's what we want to try to take advantage of in designing the portfolios. But more than likely, real estate is going to be part of that uh, allocation that we put together for our clients. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to get a little deeper, uh, take a take a peek under the covers, if you will, How the sausage where is made. you get where you get to where you get because you're. I know you're you're providing recommendations to people. It's not just here's a proposal, take this, and now I'm done with you. Right. No, it's an ongoing That's relationship. Correct. That's correct. With ongoing recommendations for uh, uh, um, different things that they might want to do with their portfolios, adjustments they might want to make. Correct. Um, so can we, can you talk a little bit of first, maybe, uh, talk about your education. Sure. Talk about your, Oh, that's a lot. Your, that's that's a, a lot, lot to unpack. A lot. That's a lot to unpack. <laughs> you, you've got a couple, couple questions in there. And what I, what I'll do first in regards to the financial planning process, it's really organizing information. It's providing a portfolio, a pro- proposal for our clients and then also implementing. So once you've made the recommendation and there is the implementation and monitoring. So there's a, it's kind of a full cycle in terms of what we do with financial planning. And it's just not set it and forget it because the monitoring aspect continues to to be ongoing. So the relationship that we build with our clients is not just one and done. We want to continue to develop the relationship. We want to uh, find out what's being monitored, uh, how we're, you know, how we implement. If our implement, uh, if our recommendations are working out, so there's a need for um, adjustments and what I call course correction. More than likely, there will always be the, that opportunity for course correction. So. That is the financial planning process to answer your question about how we work with our clients or my experience. Uh, I've been in the financial services business for almost 39 years, and we really have taken advantage of the my experience, which has been in banking, which has been in the trust area, retirement services, and also investments and uh, not to mention the financial planning aspect. So I'm bringing all of that experience to the relationships that I have with my clients. And 
I think that that's really a wealth of, of knowledge. If I don't know, I know where to get that information for my clients. So I'm not afraid to tell people if I don't know, I don't know, and we can get that information for you. But um, so in, in regards to more of the, uh, the academic uh, experience is really, uh, I have a master's in financial services, which really kind of just speaks to the additional um, education, academic education uh, in regards to uh, finance and, of course, you know, a bachelor's. But I think the where you're going with this is the designations. Um, yep. The I have a certified financial planning designation, CFP. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have uh, uh, the chartered financial consultant, chartered life underwriter, uh, are those are those subject to renewals? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so continuing education okay, it plays plays a huge role in these designations. The last one is the chartered financial counselor. I'm sorry, chartered. Um, yeah, fi- it's a CMFC, which is the chartered mutual fund counselor. And so there is continuing education, generally speaking, for the CFP, which also helps cover some of the other areas of these designations so that it's not duplicative, is um, like 30 hours of uh, continuing education. Ethics uh, also plays a part in that. And uh, that's over a two-year period. So 15 hours at least. Uh, on an annual basis, 30 every two years is the renewal for the CFP designation, the Certified okay. Financial and, Planning. And you need that continuing education for a number of reasons. Probably the main one being is that uh, the whole investment climate Correct. environment is continually changing Correct. And, and the econ- with the economy and so many other factors. Yes. So and, and you, yeah, you definitely want to stay on top of... How do you stay on top of it? Well, it's attending the continuing education. Uh, it's looking at those various aspects of the insurance, uh, you know, life insurance, disability, long-term care plays into that, health insurance, being aware of what's available, uh, because those types of solutions always change, and you want to know what's available. Um, in regards to the investments, that's always changing. It could be if you're looking at large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, uh, that could be emerging market. And that can be on the equity side as well as on the fixed income side. So these types of solutions for our clients are always changing and you want to be on the forefront of knowing what's available so that you can, can you, recommend. Can you give us an example? Something that changed, something that became, something that popped up that wasn't available before, for instance, that you had to become familiar with? Well, I would, I would say that the, the biggest change has been with just the diversification. So we are big proponents of diversification that I have alluded to in regards to offering alternative investments. But more specifically, I would say the idea of exchange-traded funds, which is Mm -hmm. a diversified investment vehicle that trades just like a stock. In Mm -hmm. fact, there are more investment solutions than individual stocks. So this goes back to probably the 90s where more of it was the exchange-traded funds were really more passively um, uh, invested 
So you're looking at a sector and you're trying to cover all fronts, let's say healthcare, and you're going to cover all types of healthcare types of companies. It could be hospitals, it could be insurance companies within the healthcare uh, area, it could be um, real estate could could play into that surgical could also be pharmaceutical that would really cover the whole waterfront of healthcare. So just passively manage, uh, manage. But when you say passively manage, that's kind of a contradiction, really. <laughs> so we're, my whole point with the exchange traded funds, how that's changed over the years, is that more and more of the exchange traded funds have come to be managed, where they are very similar to mutual funds. Mutual funds are managed mm-hmm. on a daily basis. So maybe um, an exchange-traded fund has that active managed component. So those those are the things that you really want to understand as far as being able to recommend uh, really great solutions to mm-hmm. your client. So a lot of these changes that you've talked about, I think, have probably arisen from regulatory actions. Correct. And so I assume you have to kind of keep track of not only what regulations have the government has changed in terms of securities and investment, you also have to kind of stay in front of it by keeping track of which uh, regulations are being proposed, which ones are being talked about and are on the table and being voted on. And so... How, so much, how, much say, do you do, how, how much do you how much do you have to invest in that of your own personal time? Well, and, it's a lot of reading, mm-hmm. and it's also attending different um, presentations. Uh, it could be a webinar, it could be a conference. Uh, relying on the Financial Planning Association, it's a local uh, organization where they bring in speakers and more current topics. So, being a, on top of current topics is so important Mm -hmm. and because the regulations do change so what do you read so i read uh, trade magazines Mm -hmm. um wall street journal is probably Uh the the biggest uh forbes it you know local newspaper I, i mean i think um the what i'm trying to do is really stay on top of current events okay well Given all that information you've given us, we still haven't gotten to how you come up with your recommendations. What we've talked about here Mm -hmm. is all the ways that you gather information, the tools that you use, the the input from clients, you consider their questionnaire, uh, their risk tolerance, Mm -hmm. and and then when you want to make them aware, so maybe through your newsletter, for instance, you might want to you have a tip for them, uh, what, what to keep an eye on, uh, or you might just call them directly, right? You might Correct. say, hey, I, you and I were talking earlier about this possible ETF, yes. and I want to let you know that the government did this, blah, blah, yeah. blah, and I think you should do this, and this is why. Can you talk a little bit about the, what goes into it? How are you assembling all these parts? Steve, what I know is from my past experience is that I don't have a corner of the market on the best ideas. I just, okay. I, I just don't. Does anybody? No, I don't think they do. <laughs> okay. I don't think they do. I, I really don't. Not even Warren so, Buffett? No, not no. even Warren no. Buffett. Okay. So I'm looking at information that's available. So in terms of how we construct a portfolio, so once we understand, so one of the, when I talked about risk tolerance and time horizon, we'll define 
what type of investor this person is. If it's a conservative investor, a moderately aggressive investor, or even just a um, uh, an aggressive investor, you know, someone that really wants to take a lot of risk. So with conservative, moderate, and aggressive, then, you know, those are the three, and then you have conservative, moderate, and you could have mm, sure. moderate, aggressive. Yep. So we would define that client. And with that information, we can tell how much of their portfolio should be allocated toward equities, what kind of equities does that include in terms of large cap, mid cap, uh, small cap, uh, could be international, and then also the bond component. And then, of course, the real estate also plays into that as well. So in, in regards to allocating to real estate, even though you asked me about would every portfolio, it, it just depends. Um, you know, I wouldn't say we'd want to do more than, you know, 15% of an individual's portfolio in real estate. And so a smaller portion uh, for maybe a conservative investor, because, you know, it would be appropriate to get that diversification as well. So what we what we do to, to answer your question is that I will rely heavily, heavily on my strategic partners and the strategic partners include money managers. So that could be uh, a JP Morgan solution. It could be a Goldman Sachs uh, capital group DFA. Uh, it could be Apollo. In fact, uh, just uh, left uh, a, um, a, a symposium uh, this past week where it was a comprehensive uh, review of what they offer in terms of solutions, investment solutions, and um, the new frontier is another um, area or another uh, strategic partner that I utilize. So what we do is, I, well, what I figured out since I've been doing this so long is that we will use those types of investments maybe as a centerpiece. And then the little satellite from that would be the energy, real estate, and private equity because of the non-correlation. So we don't want to be completely into, let's say, more of the uh, traditional investments. We believe that it's important to have that diversification. You mentioned that symposium with Apollo. Yes. Yes. How many of those symposiums do you go to in, in a year? Or it's, so? There's various. Um, you, and, and actually, continuing education is offered. It's a credit uh, that uh, utilized to satisfy the CFP, Certified Financial Planning Designation, that continuing education. So it's some form of continuing education or a conference. I'm usually at least on a, on a monthly basis, some so kind can, of con Can you give us an example of, from this Apollo symposium, mm -hmm. can you give us an example of something that you came away with where you thought, wow, that well, was really worth the trip? Well, yes. And I would say on the fixed income side, the opportunities, uh, particularly on the public and private credit area, are significant. Um, they're great managers, uh, managing over $540 billion, and their, their uh, forte is uh, credit and uh, fixed income or bonds, as, as you know, just uh, to get the vernacular, is that it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's, that's really kind of their area that they've really proven out that um, they've really been successful with. 
So is fixed income fixed becoming income. a little bit more appealing to you? Well, the type of fixed income, absolutely, mm-hmm. is, um, and and really, I'm going to uh, uh, end up with uh, with a recommendation that um, oh, don't, I think. Don't spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm just going <laughs> to tell you that I think there's some opportunities that people should really, really tune into and really kind of take advantage of as well. So, yeah, okay. so there, so there, and the reason why that's a little bit different with, uh, Apollo is that they have the ability to utilize their experience in terms of maybe having fixed income that is has a lot of the equity characteristics. Mm-hmm. So that was the takeaway. I love to hear the economic forecasts. Uh, generally speaking, when uh, when I attend these symposiums, just to get a perspective. And again, you you really want to listen to different perspectives on what is happening with the economy and those forecasts. Okay. <clears throat> the economic forecast, does it have a big impact on you as a, as a financial planner, Gregory, who says long-term, long-term, we're looking at the long-term, invest for the long-term, right. and that's a good sound investment advice, right? But um, every economy has ups and downs. So, so why is the econo- economic forecast? Well, it's a, it's a macro view. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that I failed to mention at the beginning when I were putting together these financial plans, these written financial plans, they, you know, these could be anywhere from 40 to 60 pages. And there's going to take into consideration short-term midterm and also long-term types of goals Hmm. so yes it is very very important to have that economic forecast okay because generally there's timing is this is this a short uh cycle that we're going through or is it going to be elongated and so that's the reason why the economic forecasts are are great and particularly the the perspective so a person that's maybe here in denver from the university of colorado for example that's providing um economic information it's going to be locally based whereas a person uh that maybe is on the you know world stage is going to give more of a uh, macro analysis that includes different countries, uh, different regions of the world. And I think that's important as we're, as we know, because it's the United States is not isolated. Um, you know, you look at a, a Microsoft, for example, right. that is, you know, yeah. you think it's, you know, based in, in Washington and uh, the state of Washington. And you're saying, OK, well, it's a local company. But actually, <laughs> you know, they derive more than 50 percent of their revenue from abroad. So it's so that's the reason why it's important to uh, yep. take advantage of different perspectives from these economists. OK. What you do, is it a science or is it an art? Both. Is it eighty percent science? <laughs> what what percentage of science would you say? Probably twenty percent. Twenty percent science, eighty percent art. Okay, yeah. So I would say talk the only a reason why, about that. The only, so reason, is, the only reason why I say that, and I think it's a great question, is that these are customized portfolios. Right. So I'm not putting a portfolio, cookie cutter portfolio Everyone's for different. every, yeah, everyone is different. So it's a customized portfolio. Sure. So that's the reason why I say 80% uh, art. Okay. So, and the 20% would be more of that economic information that we take in and working with these money managers 
And so then I have to come in and say, okay, well, this is, we know that this is how this portfolio should react in this situation. But then we have this artist that comes in and says, okay, sprinkle a little bit of, you know, these alternative investments into the portfolio as well. Can you give us a good example of one or maybe even two pieces of investment advice that you gave somebody that you were particularly proud of that you said, I used my artwork in this and combined it with the tools, the scientific tools, and came up with a really good solution for this person. And it worked out. Tell us. Well, it's more retirement related. A couple that decided that they wanted to retire early and move to Mexico. So it was a matter of coming up with a plan. Um, and, and they really came up with a plan. Hey, we are looking to leave um, the United States and, um, you know, be expatriates mm-hmm. in, in Mexico. And so it was a matter of putting together a portfolio that was conservative to make sure that they were able to have those dollars available with at the same time t- uh, taking advantage of the equity markets to keep pace with inflation and exceed inflation and as a, and just also looking at well where you know where are you spending your money you know that's the other part of this is like well you sure. have to kind of figure out mm-hmm. well uh, this is the amount of money that i have available and maybe i'm going to have to make a little bit of sacrifice in order to get to my ultimate goal Mm-hmm. So that would be a great example of a person. And it's very vivid because we, we um, are looking at our situation right now. And we also want to take advantage of just living abroad, being able to enjoy a warmer climate. Um, so where are they now? In Mexico. Uh, okay. So how long did it take to, for them? To it, was, it was about a five-year five year process. Okay. Yeah. But it, and that's, and that would be investments as well as coming up with a goal. So I, and that's the reason why I talk about more of a holistic approach of short term, intermediate, and longer term goals. And that's where our clients really let us know where, where we want to uh, place those investments. Do you mind if I ask you if you ever had a situation where you made a recommendation and afterward you just kind of kicked yourself Absolutely. and said, well, there's something I didn't consider here? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think the, the, I would say probably the non-liquid types of investments, investments that require a little bit more time to work out. So when we buy a stock or a bond, for example, those are, you can mark, they're marked to the market. They can uh, sell that investment immediately. Whereas if you're with a non-traded or illiquid investment and the client's goals change, Mm-hmm. Then, uh, yeah, that's that's exactly a situation where um, we had invested longer term. That was the goal, but then the the need for that capital um, changed. So I think the can, the can lesson the lesson that I learned is really kind of checking in on a on a more uh, periodic basis to make sure that. The goals are always changed. And that's one of the things that I mentioned is mm-hmm. that once you set out on a course, there's always going to be a need for course correction. Yep. And so 
what we've been doing over the last few, I would say the last couple of years, more, a more concerted effort of saying, okay, looking at this portfolio right now, we've, we've made our recommendation. In the next eight months, the next nine, 12, 18 months, what, what do you think the potential is for you to need cash? And then we carve that out. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's really, really important. And it's just also, if, if there's a need to go back to, to make those changes, maybe six months or eight months, nine months down the road, you can make those adjustments to go back into the market, but at least you have that cash available. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of the, the downsides in thinking that it's not going to change and, um, you know, and you have investments that are illiquid. All the things that we've been talking about today, I think, are probably what you use when you come up with your monthly investment tip of the month for the podcast. Are we ready for that now? That's redundant, isn't it? The monthly investment tip. Sorry. (laughs) Are we ready for the? We're ready for that. So, do you have one? The time. The time has gone by so quickly, (laughs) Stephanie. What's happening? Okay. Yes, I absolutely do. And since we were just talking a little bit about cash, it, it, there has been a phenomenal. So my tip is treasury laddering. And treasury laddering. Yeah, tre- treasury laddering. And what has happened over the last, I would say the last nine to 10 months is that interest rates have gone up dramatically. And so when we hear the Chairman Powell talk about, Jay Powell talk about interest rates going up, interest rates going up. And um, next week, we'll probably see 75 basis point increase in what the money center banks are able to borrow at the Federal Reserve. That's all that is. Mm-hmm. So right. to, to do their it's business. It's gone up dramatically this It's gone year. up dramatically. So... Um, 75 basis points or three quarters of 1% is what they're proposing. We just went through that. Uh, They're talking about another uh, increase in uh, December of the same amount uh, in in that same area. So the two-year treasury ladder is really what I would recommend right now. And people say, well, Gregory, what is is a ladder, just like Steve asked, is it's – um, taking a portion of that cash reserve that I kind of alluded to before and just segmenting it into four to five areas of your uh, of, of the um, maturity of the U.S. Treasuries. So it would be, so let me give you an example. This morning, so the close of business yesterday, the three-month Treasury. So this is the best credit in the world. Best credit, no defaults, AAA uh, is 3.97%. That's an annualized rate of return. So if you invested, let's say, $10,000 in a three-month treasury, your annualized rate of return would be 397 Okay. So, good. yeah, it's a great rate. If we were looking at the beginning of the year, you're probably looking at a half a percent or even right. less. Yeah. Okay. So a dramatic increase. So what I'm going to do is just give you the the rates of returns: the three month at three point nine seven, the six month at four point seven. I'm sorry, four point four, 
the one year at 4.59, the two year at five, uh, 4.5, the three year at 4.5. So I'm saying, I'm not saying go three years, I'm saying two years. So what we would do is we would strategically take a portion of those dollars and we would allocate them in those four different tranches. So the three month, the six month, the one year and two year. And because we know interest rates are increasing, so when that three month matures, we have an opportunity to invest in maybe a higher rate of return. So we can pick and choose where we want to go, where the most optimum, it would be a six or one, or even extending it out two years. So uh, every one of those tranches will have a maturity and you have that cash available to invest. So right now, a two-year treasury, best credit in the world, 4.50%. So if you were to go to one of the money center banks like a Wells Fargo, a U.S. bank, uh, if you were to go to Chase, more than likely a savings account is not paying right. 1%. Right. And more than likely, a savings account is going to pay you probably 0.10%, which is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's awful. Rates are awful for savings. And I come at it from when uh, back in the 80s, you get a one-year <laughs> one CD at 20%. Yeah. And that's what people would do is they would take $100,000 and they'd say, okay, I'm going to earn $20,000 on this $100,000. So you can see it's dramatically different today. Yeah. So that's my tip, which okay. is how we can, you know, help uh, that cash reserve or a portion of the portfolio get a guaranteed rate of return, best credit in the world for the next two years. Okay. So if you're if you're one of your clients takes you up on this idea, treasure laddering sounds to me like you're probably going to have to be checking back in with this client every three months. Well, at least um, as far as the maturity, we'll, so we will decide where we should place those uh, dollars that mature. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Great. Well, as always, very educational, enlightening. I'm glad I now know the secret sauce behind uh, financial planning, uh, at least your financial <laughs> planning. Yes, yeah. the secret sauce. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, and thanks, thanks a lot for being well, here. Well, thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. Stephanie, as always, such a great job. Thank you again. And we look forward to our next uh, podcast. Talk to you later. Thank you. You've been listening to Grand Turbo Moneycast, where we discuss some of the most important investment issues affecting your portfolio. Check back regularly for future editions of Grand Turbo Moneycast. And for more information, go to GrandersonWealth.com. Have a good day and a grand portfolio.